Uh, this is Martin Scorsese and... Uh... Ooh, mommy. This shot was problematic. I thought, yeah, boy, we're in trouble now. And that's the way it came out. It was really nice. On this day, I remember it was a breaking point with me. Of course it's not true. Wait, <laughs> 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 so yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> it was one of the great all-time people. <laughs> I broke the mold there, didn't I? Especially clenched. <laughs> you know, occasionally in art, you get lucky. A little device that was in my nose, I put on uh, the, the chocolate, gave it to the rat, and the rat is now running around with that device. Yeah. Time flies when I'm with you guys. I hope that everyone enjoys listening to people talking about something that they shouldn't be talking about. Yeah. Hello, hello. Welcome to Director's Commentary. I'm your host, Eugene Kotlyarenko, and I have a very special guest this week. I am casting from London, England, trying to remain healthy and um, productive. Uh, I find uh, in the last uh, 18 months, basically done so much traveling that it's hard to um, remain uh, focused in a habitual way. It's a challenge. Um, and I certainly uh, can't complain or be upset about all the great traveling and life experience I've had. I think it's a embarrassment of rich experiences and the interviewee we have on today is a result of one of those travels um ada and actually she's here now so we'll talk to her and um, we can see how she balances creativity and productivity and work and travel and everything else so let's get her in the room and welcome to the show ada thank you did you did you log into your best wi-fi network for us Yes, I thought you were going to say the best champagne, but you said Wi-Fi, but I do. Champagne? Why would I say champagne? I don't know. Yeah, that would be totally weird. It's about uh, 11.45 a.m. But it's although, Friday. Although, of course, it, oh, what'd you say? In your time, it's 12.45. It's lunchtime for you on a, on a Friday. So I guess in some circles, although not as decadent as mine, you might be having champagne right now. Um, and where and where are you based? <clears throat> I'm based in Copenhagen, but I live like the British Queen, the deceased British Queen. Aha, uh-huh. Queen Elizabeth <laughs> II. And over here, that's yeah. a big deal. Actually, yeah. here in London, there's a, one of the better repertory cinemas is called the Prince Charles. You know, he's a big movie fan. And, mm-hmm. now, and now I'm thinking that he's king. Are they going to update the name of the movie theater to the King Charles Cinema? So I haven't checked out the cinema yet um, since his ascension to the throne, but I will uh, be going there at some point soon. So I will make sure I reach out to the management and suggest that. Um, So so what's up? What's been going on? We We met each other and saw each other, I guess, in May of this year right yes yeah and, and we were connected through another filmmaker and commercial director named brian lee hughes who um i guess you worked with before you you guys are just co- contemporaries and friends yes right? we used to be roommates um 20 years ago in New oh York. Yeah? yeah where were you where were yeah. you guys roommates no like 20 
sorry, 25 years ago. Um, we lived together on 11th Street, uh, uh, between third, yeah, between third and fourth Avenue, uh, in an apartment next to Webster Hall. Webster Hall, the famous music venue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we became friends back then. Uh, he was working in advertisement at the time. He was a creative, uh, and okay. I was. Now, what do you uh, mean when you say a creative? Well, he was. That's what they're called—the people who get ideas in the advertisement. Um, what do you call agencies? That's yeah. what they do. The creatives get ideas, and they work um, together with people who write what's going to be um, what's going to be said. And that's uh, yeah. And then they make commercials. So he was working at an advertisement agency, and he time. wasn't a director. For instance, you are a commercial director, correct? Yes. Yeah. Were you ever a quote unquote creative? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think I'm creative from birth, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're creative too. But did you ever have this position? Well, no, quote, no, no, creative? no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I haven't had a job for uh, a million years. Like it, that was a, he had a job, job. We had to go yeah. every day. I haven't had a job like that. Yeah, I mean, how does one even get a job like that? Like, hey, you just show up and you say. Well, I'm a create. I mean, how do you get that? How do you get a job like that? You just you work in an ad agency as like a copy editor or something, and then one day you have lunch with the boss and you say, "Well, I got this idea for for paper towels. What if what if we had a really big spill and then one little sheet of bounty um, cleaned it all up?" <laughs> and, then, and, then the, and then the boss says oh my god that's brilliant that's so smart oh you seem pretty creative yeah, what if what if a little a little green man um a little green man was handling all the bounties and he was a funny little alien and he he had a great song and the song went like this it went oh bounty my bounty you're so very clean helping me helping me pick up spills you know and then the song and then the song was very good it wasn't like that and then they said all of a sudden oh you're a creative was that yeah I think uh, maybe he went I think Brian maybe went to some kind of art school I'm not sure about oh, his education uh -huh. but I think that his parents wanted him to be a doctor or something and he studied a dog? that no a doctor a oh, doctor the attrition uh, yeah yeah, yeah and he studied yeah. And he studied that for a while, and um, and then he didn't want to do that anymore. Okay, well, you froze now, so I guess that's the end of the episode. You froze like you were you were uh, encrusted in ice. You froze. <laughs> you froze like uh, a beautiful stop uh, motion film that gets paused. Well, um, I am from the north, so it makes sense. Crust, you are from crusted the north. And ice. That makes <laughs> yeah. So, why north. were you born in Denmark? <laughs> <laughs> well, Eugene, my parents were Danish, so that's how that happened. So, you think you were born in Denmark because your parents are Danish? Yes. Yes. Okay, that's good. And then, what would you say is um, the most kind of memorable thing? from growing up uh, as not now, not as a Danish person or even any other sort of identity marker, but just as a human being in your first, let's say 13 years of life before you really, you know, what would you say is a kind of 
the thing that puts you on the path that you're on right now. But don't pick anything from uh, after um, age 13. We'll get to that. Um, okay. Uh, I grew up in a castle. Wow, I in a castle? Up, yeah. Yeah, I grew up in a Renaissance castle, which is about 30 minutes north of Copenhagen. And whenever, when I was a child and people would ask me, why do you, no, people would ask me, where do you live? And I would say the name of the castle. And then they would be like, but, oh, what did your dad do? Like they assumed that it was my dad who got us the castle, but it was actually my mom. She was an art historian and uh, she was the curator of the National Portrait Gallery, which was in the castle, like a museum. So I grew up in a museum. I was just going to assume that she's... um the queen or something but that's way more interesting yeah yeah. you live there because you had to know keep going sorry yeah so we had to live there so people assumed that i was that we were very wealthy which right. we weren't right. she just had a job so they also assumed that i was related to um the royal family which i am not they also assumed and then they assumed that it was my dad who kind of like got us the, the deal but it was my mom which was an interesting start in a in a woman's life from a feminist perspective that you know if something is happening it 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 points towards the father but my dad was a lawyer or he, he is a lawyer and he um and my mom was a curator curator in this castle and and we lived in 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 some very like there was a lot of people living there like maybe i think about 14 families and they were living in you know the old kitchens from when the kings and queens used to live there right. like converted into apartments or Amazing. old like yeah so we, we lived in very old buildings with very very high ceilings and towers and fountains and wow all this stuff so it, i was kind of like em, you know kind of embodied in history and yeah and just like excellence and art but i was very different and my both my parents and also I have a little brother. They're all academics. They're intellectuals. They were all they're they're introverts. They all like read books. They were yeah, kind you of don't like read books. communicating. I do, but they were communicating on the same channel, if uh-huh. you might say, like the same radio channel. And my radio channel was so different. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even when like you were I was kid. missing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was I I wanted to have um people and music and noise and dogs and you know like just life around me and and there was not a lot of life around me. But there must have been some sort of like first of all it's amazing you you grew up in a castle. I was um in a castle recently the, the it's called Hampton Court where um Henry VIII mostly reigned. And um, yeah. I, I was shocked to find out that up until the date of my birth, March 31st, 1986, lots of people lived in this castle. And then there was a big fire and then they phased people out of living there. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I always I, since then, I always that was about five days ago. I've always wondered since then who lives in these castles, what kind of contemporary non-royal people. And now how did I even how could I even dream that Ada, you would be one of them? So, but that must have been a really interesting environment. I mean, there must have been a kind of communal castle, like residential environment, right? Like there must have been other, yeah. other characters yeah. that you enjoyed interacting with, even if your family was highly introverted and stuff. 
Yeah, there was yeah, yeah there was like a, there was two other kids, a boy and a girl that were kind of my age. And a thing we would do like when I was a child at night, like at, in the evenings, we I would go and knock on the door of one of them, and we would go up into the park. There was a huge like baroque park, and we would climb trees. Like, do you want to go climb trees in the park? That was an activity. And then also they had a fountain in the middle. There was a courtyard in the middle and they had this old fountain where tourists, a lot of tourists would visit the castle all the time, every day, all year round. So they would throw coins into the fountain to make wishes. Uh-huh. And we would we would we would get a stick and then take them, take the coins out at night. Yeah. And go by, you know, go buy candy bars. So yeah, that, was that makes total sense. That actually like that's probably how fountain wishing should work like someone <laughs> someone should throw a coin in a fountain thinking as long as you have the the mindset that you've made a wish that's all that matters I there's know. no real wish power and then you and then there should be people who benefit from all these coins hitting this fountain the sort of local citizens of the fountain which is you yes so that makes total yeah. sense yeah. children should steal these coins and go buy candy bars and stuff. Now, what was your favorite candy bar as a child? I think Mars Bar. Yeah, Mars Bar. And then yeah. that has that has what yeah. in it? Nougat? That has nougat in it or what? That had uh, peanuts in it, no? I, I, I don't, don't know. Remember. I don't know. I don't Every remember. country has its own candy. Yeah. But also at the at the entrance to the museum, there would be there was a guard who was there was a guard present 24 hours a day because there's a lot of national treasures inside uh-huh. of the museum, like paintings and jewelry and whatever, mm-hmm. crowns and all this stuff. So he would he had a little window and he could mm-hmm. see when we were taking out the money with the mm-hmm. stick from the fountain. Uh-huh. He would come out every every time and say, you can't take the money out of the fountain and we would we would lie to his face and say that's not what we're doing (laughs) right we're just examining each coin for its wish which potential we're trying to make sure that the people who threw these coins in are getting the biggest bang for their buck and we'll certainly put the coins back now did you have have a favorite piece of art that you enjoyed when you were a kid or a favorite piece of something in the castle that you would look at or not really i was told very much that this was it it all had great value all these old (laughs) dead things and to me it was just a load of bollocks because i i was definitely uh searching for something else like i was searching for um connection yeah mtv and connection and like mm-hmm. and i really wanted a dog and i couldn't get a dog you know yeah, like yeah. things like that you know yeah yeah kids shit of course yeah, yeah. Well, a swimming right. pool i really yeah. wanted a swimming pool right a swimming they didn't have a swimming pool in the castle i guess it doesn't make sense in denmark <laughs> um no but that is an interesting thing i do think as children and oftentimes throughout the rest of our lives um there is this sort of uh in human nature, a kind of dialectical attitude we have toward like what's available to us and um, what we desire, right? And we um, just very kind of subconsciously, if something is all around us and available to us, it's very hard for us to um, embrace or appreciate it or see it in any light outside of the casual when when we're in the experience now later on we can look back and be like wow that was amazing or wow okay that that was a special thing but in the moment it's extremely hard to um appreciate like i every time and i haven't done this in a while maybe like two days but every time i take 
a shower, I try to appreciate um, hot water, which is an amazing yeah. thing available to yeah. probably most people who listen to this podcast and definitely most of the patrons. Um, to be able to access hot water is a very uh, special thing. Just on command, you turn a knob and it's there. And, and you know, most points in human history that wasn't available. And hot water is a very amazing, special thing for the human body and the human soul. And so that's at least one thing I think we shouldn't take for granted, all of us listening and, and the two of us. So then when were you able to find the things that you wanted, like a dog or loud noise or whatever? Do you remember some sort of teenage thing where you're like, oh, finally, I... Uh, I found a dog and it's super loud. Take this family <laughs> or, or like what? Well, I mean, um, no, I, I, yeah, I grew out of the dog, uh, <clears throat> the dog uh, obsession. Like now I don't even like dogs. So I, yeah, I, yeah. I, we I, all hate yeah. dogs now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not everybody, but I, I don't like them, but I think uh, the loud noise I, came when I moved, I moved to New York city a, a month after my 20th birthday. Like that was my, like my bye castle. Why, why bye. did you, um, why did you move to New York? We're talking because, about like what, like late nineties or mid nineties, late nineties. or Mid nineties, 95. The kind of Mark Jacobs, yeah. uh, Mark Jacobs kids, kids kind of era. Kids came out that summer. Yeah. Kids came out that summer, like that fall. And um, and I remember uh, listening to Tricky on Tricky. my Walkman. Tricky from 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 Bristol, the the British. Yeah, the um, DJ artist. Right? No, he's a musician. He's a musician. Okay, he's a musician. Yeah. He's not a DJ. Yeah. Well, he probably does a lot of things, but he was from Bristol. He it was there was a big trip hop. Trip hop, yeah. I remember, era. Like I remember the Portis heads, yeah, massive attack. Per tricky. Personally, not a fan. Personally, a huge fan. So okay, so I'm, look, I remember we're have a lot of conflict on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember but, listening to Tricky. But I I was listening to Tricky on a cassette tape on my Walkman going on the plane to New York. Yeah, you know, cool. That that I remember. Um I went to New York because um I had before that, I, I had found out that I wanted to become a filmmaker and I had met some girls here in Copenhagen. I'd met a Danish girl and then also a Swedish girl who were a bit older than me. And they were doing these really crazy, like super eight films with like uh, all of their friends, like playing nuns, running through the city naked, having their period, like those kind of things, like wow. crazy films. Yeah. masturbating with landline phones like all this crazy shit yeah. and I was like this is so cool and 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 one of the girls the Danish girl she had gone to school of visual arts so I just so I decided yeah SVA so I decided I'm also going to go to SVA but I had no I didn't have any money um so I I um I enrolled in like a three-month course mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. a couple of three months Courses, courses which were at night and then I just kind of went there to do that to, yeah yeah you know. so you came for the promise of SVA but then yeah. you couldn't afford to go to college so you just stayed for New York City is that right yeah yeah basically yeah, yeah. um yeah. uh wait so okay somewhere in between there you said oh then I realized I wanted to become a filmmaker what made you 
realize that or what brought you to that conclusion? Is there a concrete thing or it was just kind of like a bunch of stuff? I think uh, I went to when I went to high school, like Danish high school, I um, was not ne- never very good at school. Mm-hmm. Like I was very yeah. average, a little bit below average. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had one class which was called film and television. Oh, and I nice just remember I had like a really, that. yeah, and I had a really great teacher. And I would just remember that we were laughing all the time. And I just remember thinking I want to, and it was kind of chaos was kind of embraced when we were trying to do things or when we were talking about things or it just felt very lively. And I just remember mm-hmm. the laughing and I was like, I want to go to work and laugh. Like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to do things with other people. So I I just decided I want to be a filmmaker, but I didn't know anything about anything, you know? Yeah. So no, this is just, so so you're, you kind of embraced it from the aspect of the, the process of doing this will probably be fun. Unlike school, which mostly stinks, but you did, you did have, um, and I, I, I can't speak enough about this you did have kind of like a teacher, like a breakthrough teacher who um, accessed some part of your interiority that said, wow, yeah, this person is showing me that there is a way to learn that's fun. And it, it has to do with this subject or this, this creativity or whatever. Um, are, yeah. are, te- are teachers paid good in Denmark? I assume from just my kind of stereotypes of Europe that teachers get paid well there or normal I don't know I don't think not particularly I think they're okay this was high school so you have to you know you have to it's different to teach in high school than it is to teach in you know preschool or whatever what is it called the other like in yeah grammar school grade school in America we have have elementary school we have middle school we have high school but other places. Okay, the so middle school. I think you get paid more if you're a high school teacher, but it wasn't like a situation where I was seen like he was like, oh my God, you have something extra. Like nothing. No, I don't no, nobody no. saw I didn't, anything. I didn't mean like that. I just mean like certain teachers like make the experience of learning fun and that yeah. gives students um, access to um, a curiosity and excitement, which is the yeah. fuel for a life where you can be your own kind of motivator or your own kind yeah. of um, boss or something, you know, because so much of school is about like, they're your boss. They tell you what to do. Here's the assignment. Here's the deadline. And like, we're trained uh, from a young age to like have the boss tell us what to do. And then when you do a good job, you'll get a good grade. And that's, that's like the reward kind of system there of like, you know, being subordinate and stuff. And then I think sometimes there are good teachers and I certainly had a few in my life who activate a part of your mind that doesn't have to do with just fulfilling the assignment that the boss gave you, but thinking for yourself and um, being curious about ideas and, 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 you know, just things that it could excite you and it has nothing to do with like fulfilling a job or being subordinate or feeling good when you get a good score you know and um i think those sort of experiences can be extremely formative 
even for kids who don't care about school, who don't like school. Personally, I was a great student. I, I loved school, but, <laughs> but I still found those experiences with teachers <laughs> who are much more kind of, I don't know, uh, Socratic, I guess, in their methodology to be way more meaningful to me than just like normal schoolwork and shit. So mm-hmm. um, I want to just make it clear that on this show, Director's Commentary, we celebrate great teachers and we and we uh, we root for more great teachers in the world to open up children's minds and inspire them to be curious. I mean, in our profession and in, in, or I think in most creative professions, but more and more, if you look at the world, right, just um, in terms of like um, job trends and employment trends, you know, the, the democratization of the Internet in the last 25 years and the way it's hit every single sector of you know life and the economy you more and more people have to freelance people have to become their own bosses their own small business owners or whatever and um that fuel that you're driven by your own interests and your own curiosity and then you have to sort of take on a whole set of responsibilities and suddenly become like the manager of your own life or the boss of your own um, financial, you know, um, income streams and stuff is really challenging. And you have, you have to, um, have the drive within your spirit that, um, you know, whether it is curiosity or creativity or, um, the necessity to eat food and pay rent, whatever those things are, you need to be driven by those things. And you're not going to have a kind of like most people are no longer going to have like, you know, the traditional kind of like master slave relationship with the economy. Um, uh, you know, the further along we get in the trajectory that we're in right now, the the less relevant a kind of like nine to five office job is to most people. out mm-hmm. there. Uh, yeah. so, sorry for the sidebar there. But uh, so then you saw these teenage, these cool girls making their uh, transgressive, um super eight videos uh films and you thought okay sva that must be the cultural mecca that i that i you know it is cool when you know i had a thing like that too when i was teenager. I was like i have to save up money to get this camera because this camera is shoots 20 24p and it was like this new technology and it looked like film even though it's digital and i have to get this camera once i get this camera then i can mm, you know get onto the path of being a real filmmaker which is um you know you just get a fixate on a certain idea that's outside of any realm of like real knowledge that you have and then you just aim for that you know but i thought it was a smart move because starting moved. your yeah. life in new york yeah, yeah starting your life in new york city is not a bad thing like it's 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 it was fun yeah what was fun yeah. about it did you did you immediately just fall in with a creative crew or what happened no not at all i was very lonely and i couldn't you know i was scared because new york is so big and but i kind of like that i like being you know tipped over the edge or something like having to figure things out like I had to find out everything I had to you know find out where to live I had to find friends I had to find it took me a long time to figure it out I remember walking around by myself so much in the beginning and just like going to bookshops and going to 
<clears throat> I remember everything was so available. Like, you know, I'm, I've always been very like into fashion and like I would go to the Anasui store in Soho uh -huh. and look at the dresses and yeah, yeah. put some perfume on. And it just yeah. felt like magic, you know, it just felt yeah. like a magic world. Yeah. And also like going to, there was so many bookshops. So you could go and look at like, you know, books and talk to weird people. And, yeah. you know, it was just very, very, it was yeah, like, a, a, you know, landing on the moon in a way. It was very magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They hadn't uh, priced out all these bookshops by the evil Jeff Bezos yet or by the evil real estate developers. They're probably, you know, maybe like 20 bookshops in New York right now that you can really say are real bookshops. But I back, know. Back then, I'm sure yeah, there, yeah. There, were, there were like 300 or something like that. I'm sure there were a yes, lot. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's good. And then also also shows. Also like there's so much music, like there was so much live music. Like I'm, you know, I love punk rock and rock and roll. Yeah. So, like there would every week I'd get the village voice and you know try to go to all these and I went to shows by myself and like saw, you know, I don't know whatever, like, you know, the Ramones or something. Like I just go and see stuff. Yeah. And New York is very is very different from Copenhagen because people talk to you like people will engage with you even though you know with of course I was a 20 20 year old girl so you know yeah some yeah people, people talk will to because of that 20 year old girl <clears throat> but they but people also engage you know because they just engage like you yeah. know like who are you and what are you doing and do you want a drink or can you yeah, hold, yeah. like what well, you know like just yeah americans are they're very, outgoing um, yeah New York americans yeah, yeah, yeah they're outgoing and 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 copenhagen danish people are not really we don't engage with each other the same way the same so way. that i mean yeah i think that's so, a, what have you found in your life i think it's very important I think for uh, creative people or people whose job it is to see, you know, and observe and kind of like come up with a vision of the world or something like that, or just observe how people behave. I think long periods of alienation, kind of like loneliness, not knowing anyone, walking around a city depressed, which I've also done many, many times in New York, um, but also other places. I think that's very healthy. I mean, I think it's healthy for the human spirit as long as you don't get too depressed. I think it's a good thing. I don't know. Is it? What do I you think, think it's very good because if there's noise, also this is before cell phones and like internet right. and everything. Like for me, anyways, I didn't have any of that shit. So it's like you know, now you can even you know, if I go to Thailand, for example, yeah, you know, on vacation by myself. I can be in contact with all these people, yeah. friends all over the world, all day long if I want to. You yeah. know? And and I think the constant like, you know, kind of disturbance and connection, it's just it's it that that New York time for me being super alone and for you, it's like that almost is impossible now, you know, because yeah, we can always so right. create some kind of room with with you're like so something going on. You're yeah. so right. You're so right. Exactly. I mean, wow. Now we're never alone. We're never alone anymore. And we're yeah, never. Well, we're, um, co we're completely. We're fully alienated. But yes, we can always make a little bit of social kind of connective noise in our in our yeah. interiority if we really wanted to. And of course, we do really want to because we are social animals. So the first thing we'll do if we're feeling like we have nothing going on and no opportunity to be 
seen or interact with anyone or just feel fully alienated is just go to our phones and text our whomever or DM whoever to see what's going on. I think it's true. Mm -hmm. The era that I'm talking about where I was extremely lonely walking around New York and basically didn't know anyone. There were no smartphones. It's pre-smartphone. It was, it was, I think I had a Nokia brick. Hey, Nokia, is that a Danish company or what? Swedish? Finnish, Finnish, Finnish. Finnish. Nokia. Nokia. Yeah, Nokia connecting people. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That's how they say it. (laughs) Did you ever do a, did you ever do a Nokia commercial? No, I wish. I think they went bankrupt. I think iPhone like just <laughs> took them off the yeah. It's, oh, good. They went uh, no, bankrupt. I didn't. That's good. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I don't know. I'm just so okay. So you're walking around. You're super lonely. You're also meeting people. You're learning. You're going. Did you go to? Were there any good movie theaters in New York at the time? Do you remember movie theater experiences? Is it? Yeah, I'd go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd go to movies all the time. I'd go to Angelica. Yeah. And watch kids. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then what's the, so you said you want to be a filmmaker mm-hmm. and then what's the step where you're like, okay, I'm starting to be a filmmaker now. What is that step? That came, um, that came a few years later, but I started, I, I, I when I went to New York, I brought a Super 8 camera. Uh-huh. And I started like to film my life once my life became a kind of life you could film. <laughs> once uh, things started happening, I started to like. But you mean super eight with, ta- with tapes or with film? With tapes? No, with tapes. Like, yeah. no, with films, with films. Sorry. With film films. cartridges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what? You're, yeah, fil- yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're filming your life, but with no sound, with super eight mm-hmm. cartridges. Dude, dude, you could buy Super 8 film at the deli next to wow. Washington Square Park. Wow. And they would also and they would also develop it for you at the deli. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So I started doing that and um and just filming, like just documenting things, but I didn't know that that why I was doing it. I didn't, you know, I everything was very kind of intuitive and not very conscious. You know, I had right. no Reference, I didn't. Right, right. You hadn't seen like Jonas Mekis's diary films at anthology film archives. No, 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 I didn't know. Yeah. No, 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 I didn't know that that was happening. Um, But then a few few years later, um, I went I went back to Copenhagen and um, and I tried to get into the Danish Film School, Uh and, and I didn't get in. But I I understood that documentary was kind of the place where I should be. So I, I tried to get into the documentary line at the Danish Film School and I didn't what made you what made you think it. that just because you'd been documenting your personal life or what? Because I saw a documentary film made by uh, one of the students out there and I was like, that's what I want to do. I'm interested in people. Like that's what uh, I want to do. Oh uh, it was like you a know? sort of pro- portrait of like people or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I didn't get in and I also applied to the art academy because I thought maybe I can, you know, stir up some shit at the art academy and I didn't get in either. So I, I was kind of in a position in my mid-20s where I just could not get an education, even though education here is free. It's free, like, but guess what? You were a bad student, so you're not getting into any of these places. Exactly. You're just one of the- you're just one it's, of these fucked up New York skaters who wasn't Yeah, no, they... they 
Yeah, yeah, and it was it was it was quite traumatizing because well, my parents are very like academic, so I was kind of raised like you you need to get an education, otherwise you're basically going to hell. And, and guess what? Know? And you were in your own hell, rejected from film school and art school, and oh my god, yeah. you're tw- you're 24 yeah. years old. Okay, so then what do you do? No, I was. I think when I applied for the Danish film school, I was 26, and I because I remember I went to an interview there, and they said to me, I was in a room with like maybe six or eight people, and the headmaster of the school asked me, "What are you going to do if you get pregnant?" Hmm. <laughs> okay. Good question. Yeah. Right. Right. And then, and I was so puzzled. I was yeah. So yeah. It is a puzzle. It is so a puzzle. puzzled. I was like, "Why are we talking?" I thought we were yeah. going to talk about the films that we're going to make together. And yeah. You're yeah. Talk, you're asking me what I'm going to do if I get pregnant while I'm in the school. Yeah. So Crazy. I think Crazy. it's a good thing that I didn't. Yeah. yeah. It was really insane. Yeah, like, yeah. N- now those people would have, you know, they would have been so canceled. They would yeah. have been taken to an island and basically shot. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you ask me now, well, I guess it, same thing before is now. I guess you'd probably have the kid or not. Whatever, <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> it really has nothing. It really has nothing to do with the guy. Yeah. So, so they were sexist and annoying. So I'm kind of glad that it didn't work. Out yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, come so on. So what you? So what you come do on, instead? What you do instead? You, I mean, so you got pregnant. You had 20 kids. So, so <laughs> no, he he was totally please. right with his concern. You immediately went out after the interview and said, "You know what? <laughs> Fuck that guy. I'm getting pregnant." Because that's the calculation <laughs> you make. Um, no, no. So what'd you do after no. that? No. So I just started. I just started making like music videos and little, like little things. I think I got hooked up. I got hooked up with a production company, and I started like doing like tiny, tiny, tiny little job kind of things for them and music videos. And then um, what? Okay, in give, give me the what, what is hooked yeah? up? Okay, this is this is. I'm always wondering about. This. What is hooked up with a company? So you said you got hooked up with a production company. That's like what? You dropped them an email. You walked by their office. You met someone who worked there. And they said, oh, you should meet with blah, 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 producer. You have a friend who has a band and you made a video. And then they saw the video and then they're like, work with us. Yeah, kind of like that. It's, it's uh, you know, when you're young and you're creative, people... Well, in in one perspective, they don't want to have anything to do with you. But yeah, some people my... really want to have something to do with you because you have energy and you're like, you know, you're you're the next big thing maybe or something. So I got hooked up with a production company who were going to represent me as a commercial director. Meanwhile, that did not work out because they didn't know how to sell me. But in but in order to keep me, you know, at the fire, and I had no other fire to stay by, so I, you know, whatever. I would um, use their equipment. I trashed their car. I, you know, sent out my my films, little films that I made to film festivals. You know, using their whatever mail system. Like you know what I mean. Like you just hang out and at the you, office. Uh-huh. You know, I often hung over at the office. You're often hung over. You have stories to tell because you were out last night, and you're just you know kind of like just using 
you're calling it I'm going to work, but you're not really getting paid. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah, just yeah, yeah. Around. You're just you, you're you're hanging. And they you're, hope you're just, they can. <clears throat> yeah, and they want you around, yeah. but they're not uh, smart or good enough to get you the jobs that you want. So you're kind of just like no. You're kind of fine trying to figure out ways to exploit them before something happens. For something yeah. good, before until something good happens, you're like, I might as well take advantage of the situation and make the yeah. best of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh-huh. And then, so the, and then like one of the these best. things somewhere along the way, you have some sort of breakthrough, which is what? Through the company or by yourself or no, by myself, I decide to um, to go back to New York uh, and start uh, and and uh, yeah and make a documentary, uh-huh. you know? a kind of an unfunded documentary. But it um, yeah, I I went back before um, this kind of like very formulaic moment in documentary which we're living in now. Um, you know, where you have a kind of like a Netflix uh, type of documentary you can do or you have a type of like whatever, whatever. There is only like, you know, two sources for funding for documentaries, which is probably PBS and HBO in America. And then all documentaries are like unfunded. Like, you know what I mean? I think now someone goes into making a documentary and they're like, I'm going to get funding. Like I know I know like the route I need to take to like get funding for my documentary and I think probably back then, which is, I guess you're talking about like the early 2000s or something, mid 2000s, um, there probably weren't very many paths to get funding for a documentary, but there's like an opportunity on a resource level, you no longer have to shoot on 16 millimeters. So I think, did you start shooting your documentary on film or on digital? Sweetheart, sweetheart, I'm from Europe. We have yeah. national funding. So oh, you so- can get funded nationally. We so have something did, called the Danish Film funded? Institute. Okay. There's the Swedish Film Institute. There's the Finnish. We, we have national funding for that kind of stuff. So you can actually make a living being a documentary filmmaker, being nationally funded. But I didn't get funded because I hadn't done anything. But yeah. I got like a little tiny, 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 tiny from the, like they have different like systems and the lowest, lowest, lowest system. I got like a tiny, you know, kind of, Grant, grant of maybe $1,500. Yeah. And then they also let me, they, they, they have facilities. So they have like government support, like government supported editing rooms, grading suites, you know, kind of like, so uh-huh. that you can go through a production getting, you know, you know, getting help to get that stuff done. So I really wanted to make a film about who is a loser and who's a winner because that's always been very interesting to me like you know um who gets rewarded in this society and for what because mm-hmm. i found that a lot of my friends are not very good at playing on society's terms but they're actually very brilliant yeah and often the most fun people so I went to New York and I did a film about two of my friends and I called the film American Losers. Mm-hmm. And um, it was an hour long. Wow. And uh, that that started my career because mm-hmm. that, uh, yeah, that just went really well. Like everyone in, in the, in, in at least like 
in Denmark, like all the kind of people in power, they really liked it. So after that, I started getting proper national funding. Yeah. So and so you brought this movie back. You made this movie about American losers. Okay. You depicted American. Who are my, as, my friends? You, Who are my yeah, friends? Yeah, yeah, sure. Your friends. You exploited these Americans. You portrayed them as huge losers <laughs> and you brought it back yeah. to Denmark and they like ate it all up like their beautiful American loser yeah. suit. No, but yeah, did, did yeah. it did, so did it play somewhere? Um I like got a little uh, like a theater or on TV or something like that that or at a festival or something and like or did was it, it start, start played at a bunch of festivals. I was in um yeah, it played like in festivals all around. It didn't win any prizes. Um but well, I remember and I yeah, I remember that it like a, a few years later I got um an email or my producer at the time, I had a Danish producer helping me produce it, you know, uh, but I paid for it. I always yeah, pay yeah, for yeah. everything. Yeah. 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 Um, credit cards, borrowing money from my mom, yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. That like I had no money. dollar Danish grant that can only go so far. Yeah. That didn't. Yeah. That yeah. can only go so far. Yeah, but yeah. I got an email from, from this, um, from this programmer from a uh, Toronto film festival mm. who said that he, wanted to program it a few years later after it came out and um he and that program was going to be called films that i wish i had the balls to program once the first time i saw them mm-hmm. like he had regretted not programming right. it hey because he felt it was such a good film and i was like me and my producer were like okay do you know how much you could have helped us if right that does pro- nothing you know? for us now buddy that <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, but he actually said that it deserves a place among the canon of the most compelling and creative do- contemporary documentaries. Yeah, I found the email just because I. Re- yeah, it was a crazy story. So Anyways, what what, so, um, what what is the general thesis of it? So you just kind of is observational. And what style of kind of doc is it? Is it kind of verite observational? Or is there? It's verite, but I talk to them because we're friends. So I just kind of like follow them around their Mm -hmm. lives. And we talk about different things. You know, one is in a band. uh, One is a girl and she's in a band and, you know, is struggling in New York City. And the other one um, is a guy who has moved into the countryside and kind of like is living as a recluse. And Mm -hmm. uh, we just hang out and talk. And they're just these, you know, Lose the the title losers is is obviously like kind of playing on on the fact yeah. that they're not losers at all, but they just yeah. don't have a lot of money. They don't have a big car. They don't have a mortgage. They don't have all the things that yeah. society tells you that you need to have. So yeah, they're actually brilliant, sensitive, artistic, beautiful people. Well, we celebrate them. And then, is it possible to see that movie? Can people see that movie? Yes, and actually, I'm going to show it um, in a gallery in New York on the 18th. In an art show, um, something someplace called Alchemy Alchemy Gallery in the Lower East Side, on the 18th of November. Doesn't matter if you want to come. Cool. Uh, I I probably won't be there because I'm in LA. But maybe if I am there, I will definitely come. You will be there. So, but don't you want to put it up online so people can see it? You should probably do that after the. You can. Yeah, I think it's it. Yeah, I don't know. We, I don't know if it's online or not. Or not. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to show it in that gallery. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And so, so that kind of was your call, what they call a calling card. That was kind of your totally da- your Danish totally. calling card. Yeah. And so then from that, you were able to, they said, oh, well, pff, 
if if this if this talented young person can follow around her friends in the woods and in the city, she's got to be able to make a a bounty, a commercial for bounty paper towels. No, that just had that that stuff came much later. Then I did after losers, I did documentaries for about eight years, eight, ten years. Wow. And I was shooting everywhere and everything. I, I did a film in Russia called uh-huh. The Naked of St. Petersburg. I spent a lot of time in Russia. I did a film in China and I did um, another American film where I filmed two of my friends. And that was a film about the financial crisis, but uh-huh. seen through the eyes of, of people who were not affected by the financial crisis uh-huh. because they had always, they were living in constant financial crisis. Yeah, that sounds so, like a good movie. I, I, I That's how I felt like when COVID hit and everyone suddenly like, didn't go to their like nine to five job. I'm like, yeah, welcome to the world of like a normal creative artist for every single day you have to wake up and like find a purpose to exist. That's not coming from some external force, you know, like welcome to that existential crisis every day. Um, so, so wait, so what was the movie in Russia called the naked people? The naked of St. Petersburg. And what is that about? Well, I thought it was about one thing, but then I got to Russia and then it became about another thing. Well, what was so, it supposed uh, to be about? <laughs> well, in, in St. Petersburg, there's this big fortress in the middle of the city. Uh-huh. And Russian, some some people of St. Petersburg have this habit of going down to the fortress and taking off all of their clothes and sunbathe. Oh, like, wow. semi-naked in the middle of the wintertime. Uh-huh. And that's quite a... Like it's quite beautiful of these like, you know, kind of people in bikinis or like hanging out by this wall of and, yeah, you know, and it's fortress super cold right? in the sun. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cold. Um, so I thought it was gonna be about them, but they didn't want to talk to me. Um, and then I instead I started hanging out with my I had a Russian cinematographer called Max. Uh-huh. And him and his friends, and he happened to have these people, friends who were clowns, and I started hanging out with these clowns, and then yeah, I started hanging out with this one particular clown called Anton, and he thought it was, meeting me was uh, very interesting because I was from the West, and he was from the East, and oh my God, all these like, you know, poems and late nights and so he felt this text clown, messages. This clown fell in love with you. So... Yeah, yeah. And and did and you then, fall in love with the clown or not really? Yes, 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 yes. And yes, then you and did. then we wow. and then we then I think the film I just filmed all these different things that I thought were funny and interesting. And then I think the film became, you know, about instead of me looking at Russia, it became Russia looking at me, or like these two uh-huh. parts of the world looking at each other. It became yeah. it was quite poetic, it was quite beautiful. It's being taught in Danish high schools now. Wow, a, in the high school. Yeah, yeah. But so, in the so high school, did, some so high did, schools. Did you okay, did you yeah, some high schools, the avant-garde high school. <laughs> yeah, did did some high schools. Now, did you it, it, so it did evolve into this thing where you're exploring the the evolving love story between you and, and Anton? Is that the idea? Like that it it's not you, really and I don't yeah, I don't think I don't think it was about a love story so much. It was more about like being puzzled and interested in each other's perspective on things uh-huh, uh-huh. 
And I think I remember like <clears throat> he had just gotten divorced. Mm-hmm. Russian people tend to get married very early because then they can move away from home mm-hmm. uh, and be respected as adults. And yeah, I remember he, he he said to me that he felt like his old life had stopped, but his new life hadn't started yet. Mm-hmm. He was in a vacuum. Yeah. And then he met me and uh-huh. I pushed him into the new life. Wow. Not as a woman. Yeah, not yeah. as a woman, not as like a love woman, a love interest, whatever, but as an as a as a point of inspiration and interest. Yeah. Like just she's yeah. opening, she's opening up the my my senses again. Yeah. Right. That's the thing you were, did, you were talking about before, the curiosity, the interest, the excitement to, yes. to live yes. and to think yes. and to drive yes. yourself to yeah. get out of yeah. a vacuum or into something good. That's a, yeah. I think that is yeah. one of the great driving forces of life. Yeah. Yeah. And a thing that you, as a, I mean, as a woman, I've been to Russia many times and I have a bunch of friends there. And uh-huh. what happens often in Russia is like within the first few days, some Russian guy takes you around the city. Like I've had that happen to me in Moscow and in St. Petersburg. Like they will, you know, show you um, the city and and they will be like, they're so proud. You know, here's this castle, here's the summer castle, here's the this, the that, the this, And then you end up going into a museum and they, and they show you a painting and then they start crying. Wow. Like that happens. Yeah. Yes. And they, they, and they all say like, I was, you know, I saw this when I was a little communist pioneer when I was six and it's, it's about this, it's about war. It's about love. It's about internal. And then they start crying. Yeah. Well, the Russian soul is a a high, a deep and and emotional and vitriolic and highly complex. And it's uh, enacting many of its internal conflicts right now, externally in the world. And we wish that the Russian soul finds peace as soon as possible so that the world um yeah can, can have some peace um but uh yes i'm familiar uh personally with with many russian people and um you know that look i think people all over the world have really um passionate um in uh like you know it's funny, like, you know, you say something about the Danish character or like Americans are outgoing or Russians cry at a painting. And I I just think, I don't know that I, I can, and I just did it, but I don't know that I really believe in like a kind of like national character. It is an easy way to kind of like categorize things. And I'm sure that there's some sort of like evolutionary kind of inherited trait thing that happens depending on like, geography and weather and whatever but um i think the things that make a person look at a painting and cry probably i want to say are very internal to that individual and also universal to the human experience and maybe have less to do with uh kind of national traits but that's just me, you know, uh, there's a whole group of uh, sociologists and ethnographers who I'm sure would beg to differ. But um, I do I do feel like um, I want to believe that people are driven more by their own personal experiences um, and then by just something that's universally common in the shared kind of human experience than by certain national characteristics because borders 
um, you know, are imaginary and language is, you know, con fully constructed. But anyway, that's just a, 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 a fear. What's the thing you did in China? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I did a film, a very short documentary. It was kind of this, it was this thing where the Danish kind of film documentary, the, the Danish, what is it called? Copenhagen uh, Docs, which is a big film festival here for documentaries. They did this program where you, you where you could, get selected and then you and then you would get like hooked up with a director from very far away like mm -hmm. Cambodia or China or Burma or something like that mm -hmm. and I was part of that program and I got hooked up with a Chinese director mm. and then I, I went he came here for a month I think and then I went over there for a month and we had to figure out how to do a film together like yeah um and we couldn't agree on anything but wow. he was really really great like we became really good friends he had a brilliant sense of humor like we 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 connected yeah. so well as human beings but but when two people from two different cultures have to figure out what to make what kind of film to make it's kind of a the concept is i'm sorry but it's a little bit dumb because you know the I, the, the whole point of being a film director is like you having a personal vision yeah. So having a personal vision together with a Chinese dude from yeah, Shanghai yeah. that you've never yeah. met, it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. Well, what did you want to do? And what did he want to do? I don't remember what I wanted to do, but I remember that he was sleeping all day. <laughs> he was sleeping all day? Yeah, yeah, he was sleeping all day. And and then I also remember being having spent a good chunk of time in China and then being told by somebody... Well, in China, to say no is very rude. You don't say no. You kind of talk around the no. Uh -huh. And I that kind of, the, the coin fell because I understood, like, I've been saying no to his bad ideas from the moment I arrived. And he'd never said no to me. He would just kind of like, talk you know, like it. there was some communication things. Yeah. Know? He but was then, probably um, extremely I'm, offended that <clears> he kept <throat> saying no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, I think he put up with me because I was a rude, you know, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But he, then, put up, um, he put up with your your Western bullshit because yeah, he, he, that's he what he own, did. He was he has his own schemes. Yeah, he was very very patient, and I remember it's it's yeah. I remember that we were sitting in a cafe in Shanghai, and we got to the point where we were talking about like, is life evil or is life good? Yeah, because that's. That's also a starting point for a director. Like, what kind of story do you want to tell and how is the ending going to be? And I remember saying, I think life is evil. And he said, I think life is good. And then at one point I was like, I'm so sick of you. I'm going to go get a massage. Yeah. And then he said, I have the perfect masseuse. It, it is this guy who was once in a gang. Uh -huh. But then he got beat up and he lost his eyesight. Wow. And now he's a masseuse. Wow. And that was interesting to me. So we made a documentary about that guy. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, a yeah. gang member lost his eyesight, became an awesome masseuse, and he and he yes. was like, yeah. and he's like, Ada, you're right. This is a good documentary subject, right? He agreed that that was good, right? He, he agreed to that subject. But then Eugene, I have to tell you the end of the story because then we made this little film. It was fine. We had a, a <clears throat> yeah a, a fun time shooting it, but it. It's just hard working with another director. 
yeah. when you have to agree on everything. And then at the time I was in Shanghai, his uh, girlfriend was pregnant. Uh-huh. And um, she was about to. So I think also one, oh, another another one, another one of these these pregnancies just ruining a great movie. No, no. So yeah, no, 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 no. So his his girlfriend was pregnant, and she was from Taiwan, uh-huh. and he was Chinese, and they yeah. were li- We were all living on the twenty seventh mm-hmm. floor of this high rise building. They were like kind of well off ish people, kind of well off. Okay, yeah. off. They had a maid who cooked for us, so you know, like that kind of thing. And then, um, and then I remember after we finished the film, it premiered. They had their mm-hmm. baby. He he t- he. You know, he told me we had a little girl. Her name is Amber. Blah blah blah. And then, like I think maybe six months after, I get a phone call that his wife had committed suicide. Oh no. She had jumped out of the 27th floor. Oh, no. Why? Because she was depressed or yeah. be- and because they weren't getting along. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So um so he was he was a he was a kind of a you know a, what alone you- with this little tiny baby. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 telling you this story because it's like then he called me because we had just been through this production together. Yeah. And I remember we talked to each other for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And it was it was something else to have like a Chinese man, mm-hmm. a devastated Chinese man from a completely different culture than mine on the phone mm-hmm. for two hours, like talking about. Well, of, of course. You know. Yeah. I mean, I think it something I've found is that sometimes it can be easiest to open up to someone who is not actually like a part of your day-to-day life experience. I don't want to say a stranger because you guys weren't strangers, but in a way you guys, no. ha- your bond is not um, like the same sort of, you know, intimate bond he has with his family or his friends or the yeah. people who experience life. So you he, he might feel more vulnerable in a, a comfortable way with the stranger. Yeah. But, um, but that, that's quite tragic. Was he happy with how the movie turned out? I think he I think nobody cared about that movie. I think the friendship became just really, really strong. And he came to visit me afterwards. Yeah. Like a year later or something like uh-huh. that. And yeah, and 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 we I mean it was just interesting. I'm telling you this because of the conversation we had. Two filmmakers in a cafe in Shanghai. Is life good or is it evil? And yeah. I was like, it's evil. And I think he he jumped on the evil boat after what happened to him, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, they it got pretty dark, but the friendship was so much bigger than a, you know stupid. But that but that that is yeah. a really that is a really important thing, like if your worldview and when you said that, like you know, seven or eight minutes ago or something, I started to think, well, do I think life is good or life is evil? And uh, I think it's a really tough thing to just sort of uh say out loud and say like that's what i believe because i do think i have a kind of satirical perspective on the world i see around me but i also have a very kind of optimistic attitude and i don't think i can commit i mean i think it's i mean certainly you can think of you know very famous kind of like directors or or artists through history you say, okay, this person's worldview is that the world is evil or something, or this person's worldview is that the world is good. Um, but I don't, I don't know that I see things in in that way. I, I don't, I, 
I think you have to, on some level, everyone has to have a little bit of both or a little bit of access to both, uh, I guess what they call the yin and yang of uh, existence, which is. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think we all have access to both and we're, I think we're all trying to balance both, but I think when it comes to the ending of your movie, what do you, do you give people hope or is it a tragic ending? You know, and right. I would lean towards the tragic ending always because, and I think that's where it comes in. Like, I do believe life is good or bad. Well, okay. Well, the tragic ending on just a sort of, I don't want to say formulaic level, but on a kind of dramatic level is clearly the one that leaves the biggest impact on an audience or on a viewer. So, so just kind of in the analysis of, um, storytelling or drama from, I guess, like Aristotle onwards, you would think, you would say that, you know, uh, a sort of tragic ending is the um, superior route for storytelling. And so maybe, mm -hmm. maybe you're driven just by, by your instincts as a great storyteller to want to have a tragic ending. Um, of course, me as a Hollywood shill, as a sort of, <laughs> as a, just a little cog in the Hollywood dream factory, I'm always looking for these happy endings and uh, finding ways to leave people, uh, you know, with a nice little bittersweet uh, sort of smile on their face as they exit the theater or they turn off their uh, TV. Um, and so, anyway... I uh, I hear you, and probably your instincts towards tragedy are, um, I don't want to say correct, but are backed up by thousands of years of human experience. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look, the end, there is an end to life, and that end is death, and death does make, uh, you know, one think mm. and cry <laughs> and cry. So yeah. I guess that is tragic. Yeah. No, what if we found out tomorrow yeah. though that uh, after death there's something else? Then would we all start thinking life is good? If we but found the, out that depends what that else is. But I I think maybe then maybe there's something else. Like it's we know? found out it's actually one thousand years of unbelievable torture. <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> pain and torture okay so then you made the movie in china you did the movie in russia in china you went back to america um and then and then did you say at some point i'm done with documentaries or are you still making documentaries and i said at some point i'm done with documentaries wow. i was just so tired of it because you're so it's so lonely like you're you're always out in the field and you're busting your balls and you don't get paid very well. And but when you say lonely, do you, do, you, do you mean the idea of being an observer and not because it sounds like you're kind of a participating kind of element within the story, within yeah. the story that you're telling. So you're not doing like just this kind of cold, hard, detached kind of like documentary and observation right you are kind of becoming part no, I of the think, story yeah i think that <clears throat> that it's it's the it's the burden of making art alone like going away to a foreign country and being the only one who's 
burning desire is to get this these shots in the can or these filmed on. Like I I needed to be more collaborative. But, I needed yeah, for other all... people to also want me to make the film. I know, like the but, sacrifices but... were very big. Don't you feel like that is always the responsibility of the director? Of course, I mean, like, you know, yes, it would be ideal and awesome to have like a team of collaborators and they're all helping you accomplish the vision of the thing. But at the end of the day, you know this, like no one will care because now you've done things that aren't documentaries. So, you know, this. no one will care more about your project than you. I mean, maybe if it's a commercial for the great bounty paper towel company, then they will, the client and who hired you will care, but then you're just in a world of commerce, right? You're not, you're no longer in the world where you have an idea. You could see it being accomplished in X, Y, Z way. And no one else is going to give a shit until you actually do it. Like that is the burden of, of a director in almost all contexts, regardless of like resource levels, obviously, if you have like a team around you, da, 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 that's helpful that, you know, I mean, s s jump in here. I, if I'm saying something that feels you know, like wrong, please. No, it is true. It is the burden, but I just needed to let go of that burden for a while because I I felt like I, I couldn't do it anymore. I needed a break and I, and, and commercials, you know, then you're not alone. Then a lot of people think that those shots should get in the can <laughs> and they want to help you and they want to do anything so that you get it done. And yes, it is commerce, but I don't necessarily think commerce is a bad thing. You're helping somebody uh, realize a vision and you're selling some stuff, but I don't think it's very different from the art market or whatever, you know, like yeah, I don't yeah, think I don't, it's I... so different. Like it's the same thing. I found it, I found it like really draining and it's also because I go really deep into things. Like, who do who do you know who went to St. Petersburg and started like hanging out with a bunch of clowns? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I go very anymore. deep. Yeah, I go very deep, deep into things, and I will I will put everything aside. I will you know push people away for my artistic vision. Like, I'm kind of a lunatic like that. So I needed a break from that part of myself, yeah, yeah. and I needed really just draining, to go to work. Sure. And it's very draining, and <clears throat> I needed to just go to work get paid everybody big give everybody a big hug and just go home and and be a normal person and and yeah. advertisement allowed me to do that but i got to say when i started it people were freaking out like everyone was like you have such a raw special sensitive textured talent like the words that came out wow. of people's mouths like, a lot of you know you're so special you. yeah right. a lot of like and you're going to destroy that you're going to destroy right. that famous like new commerce world. Yeah, and they I were was, concerned I, for your artistic um, purity, um, yeah, not yeah. understanding. And the I was like, you can, you no, no. And I was like, you can shove your purity up your ass. Like, I don't, you know, I was, I was very punk rock about it. I was like, if everybody says I shouldn't do this, I'm definitely going to do it. Like, yeah, I want to, you, you were worried to be, about. No, losing your artistic purity because you had just been no. through ten or whatever years of making documentaries and getting just drained from um, committing so fully to all of these things. Sorry to jump back for one second. What did you find was the main thing you and the Chinese filmmaker uh, were disagreeing on? Was it a like a kind of aesthetic approach to a documentary, or was it kind of just the subject matter? Just different. You couldn't agree on a subject. 
I think we had a different approach to creating altogether. And I think uh, that well, what was he, your approach? What was his? What, what do you think was the approach difference? I think he wanted to make something monumental. Uh huh. And I was like, "Fuck monumental!" Like he wanted to be so smart that he that it couldn't even. You know, he had such big ambitions. Where I'm more, I'm much more like, "This is interesting. You're fun. Can I film you?" And then yeah. we'll see what happens. Like I'm much more like punk rock right. about it. Like let's just dive in and see what happens. But sometimes, and I'm sorry to say this, but like a lot of dudes, whenever they want to say something, they want it to be very grandioso and pretentious. And I was yeah. like, I'm not having any of that. Like, I'm not, I don't want to do like, and, and also it can become, I think I was, I had done a lot more of my own personal work. So it wasn't so precious for me to make something, which yeah. it actually never has been. It's not precious. It's like, mm -hmm. let's do it, you know? Yeah. But for him, it was like, you know, it was a big deal. And that is not sexy. When things are a big deal, it's not right. sexy anymore. Yeah. So that yeah, was our yeah. biggest difference. But I'm saying this with a lot of love. Like, I have a lot of respect for him. You know, no, no, no. It, I love him. Like, we you, became you, you besties, find that to be you know? a more, you find that to be like a kind of uh, debilitating, kind of ma generally male quality, the kind of. Um, yeah. They take themselves too damn serious. They right, yeah, right, yeah. Um, and potentially, though, you're also acknowledging that your experience, having had made a bunch of stuff already, allowed you to approach the project with like less preciousness and less kind of pressure on the project than someone maybe what he had done on like what very little stuff, I guess. He had done a film that was in Cannes, uh -huh. one short film I remember, but he hadn't done a lot. And he was actually a commercial director. Like he was doing a lot of commercials and commercial directors usually have a lot of uh, issues with being commercial directors because they're yeah, yeah, artists. Yeah. Exactly. They have a chip on their shoulder. So when they get an opportunity to do the art thing, they want to make sure it's extremely meaningful and uh, extremely yeah, like which is like stupid which is well, so stupid yeah 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 yeah, yeah. clearly clear you guys kind of i can see now where the conflict arose from okay so then you decided uh because everybody was saying uh wow that sounds like a horrible idea are you sure you want to do this that you would definitely have to do this which is uh get into <laughs> a get into the non-draining or maybe draining in a different way world of commercials and so then what does that look like? Um, everyone knew you as like the Danish documentary queen. And now give me that sweet bounty paper towel money. I, said I wasn't the queen. I was a very like kind of um, experimental, a little bit off the grid uh, person doing my weird films that whenever... Danish TV had to show them. They showed them very late at night because, like, yeah. for the people who you know were up late, like you know, not prime time documentary yeah, yeah, TV yeah. Yes. type yes. stuff. The Russian clown is. But anyway, yes, yeah, <laughs> the Russian clown. But I think that um, I think that uh, it just it felt like I remember when I started. I I got signed to this company called Bacon in Copenhagen, uh -huh. uh, which is a production company. And at that time it was the most awarded 
produ commercial production company in the world. Like they were wow. so successful. And I was the first woman they signed. They had wow. never signed a woman before. And it felt like coming over there where things go really fast, everything is moving really, really fast. You know, uh, you get an idea and, or like, you know, you get a, a script and, and, you know, two days later, you're like, you know, pitching. And then a week later, you're working on it. Like, yeah. you, you know, things, and, and a month yeah. later, you're done and you've made a bunch of money. Like, it's just like Sounds so fast. Awesome. <laughs> everyone was so, every, everyone was so nice to me. Uh, everyone wanted me to do really well. Like, it was just like, I felt like I came from a, a relationship of like being beat up. Yeah, yeah, meeting an abusive and I've never been beat up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know felt like I just came from an abusive relationship. Doing these personal projects, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I mean, and and commercials are draining in another way because you have to deal with clients, you have to deal with advertisement agencies. You know, it's 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 a whole nother game. Uh, but if you if you kind of like say, okay, I'm going to play this game, you know, then there's also a lot of laugh to have had on those sets. Do you know, yeah. going back to so laughing is important. Like, yeah. And you can also, I find that you can attract, you can attract like really good people, like really talented cinematographers, editors, uh, yeah. set designers, because everybody wants to make that money. Yeah. So you can the money work with, <laughs> yeah, but you, you work with extremely talented people and that is always a joy. Yeah, of course, of course. And, and, you, and you, yeah. If you play the game, then it's good. What is the trick to playing the game? I don't mean like, what is it? How did you get signed to Bacon or anything? So, I mean, like, what do you find is like, do you have to, to put on a switch in your, um, you know, quote unquote punk rock mind to say, I'm going to play this game? Or is it just more like, oh, I, I like these people? Or like, is it just like, I know I'm going to make money? Like, what what is the trick? I, I'm I'm saying this not being very good at playing that game, but it is negotiating your ego. You know, it's like your ego. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Negotiating your ego around other people and being like, you know, I can't always have it my way. I'm going to try to advise these people. This is a good idea. This cast that I want to have is a good idea. These, these, you know, my, this is how I think this should be done. And they do hire you for your opinions and your insights, but they don't always listen to you. And you yeah. have to deal with that gracefully. Mm -hmm. And, you know, which I can't always, I'm not always good at that, but that is playing the game, like understanding yeah. that this is not the end of the world. Yeah. If you don't get your way. Yeah. Well, if you're working on, you know, if you're working on a, a you know, a, a, a child of yours, like a, a you know, a, a baby, like a film that is just so important. Yeah, you mean to a you. film baby? It is the end of the world. A film baby. Yeah. Then it is the end of the world. Well, if somebody yeah. says, "No, I, yeah. I've, I, but I, you know, it's interesting you say all that because I've always actually felt like, you know, most of the productions I've done." the budgets have been very low. Everyone's been kind of like pitching in. And um, I feel like as a director who is kind of um, grateful for everyone to help you fulfill whatever, you know, idea you have or vision or whatever, that you also definitely need to negotiate your own ego too. Because even though it's your idea, everyone has to feel like it's it's their project too. Otherwise they're not going to put in the energy that they otherwise would. They all have to have a sense of ownership. So I think there is this 
uh, job you have as a director, I think almost on every project of like negotiating your ego. And then I think people who can't negotiate their ego, they don't end up making collaborative work. You know what I mean? They end up kind of like, they end up kind of like pushing through whatever original idea they had like six months prior or, or like when they first came up with it, but then they're actually being blind and deaf to the opportunities of collaboration and the kind of possibility of discovering things um, outside of their own ego. And so I do think that's that it, yeah. that quote unquote, that way of playing the game probably applies to all forms of directing. Although I'm sure on uh, commercial, those, those experiences of having to do that are accelerated times like a hundred because you're constantly dealing with a client who, um, you know, you're kind of beholden to and stuff. Do you, and, and totally unrelated question, but just the way you were talking about after that, do you feel like these relationships that you're making with these super talented cinematographers and uh, production design and, and editors and stuff, are these relationships you feel like you're, mm, you're setting, planting the seeds for projects in the future? Like, do you see yourself of kind course. of like going back to documentary or doing um, a fiction work or something? And you're like, okay, great. Well, I have all these people now that I, I'm close with from the, these commercials. I think that it's, uh, you, you, you're always thinking about future projects. Like hanging out with, with good cinematographers and editors and whatever, it's like hanging out with fellow artists. So yeah. you just, you sure. know, you vibe, you talk about ideas, you you talk about things you've seen, you talk about you 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 approach even if it's a, it's it's a commercial for what do you say paper towels, you approach it with like you want to make it you're you you're both professionals, you want to do it because you go to work, because you decided to go to work. You're going to do the best you can. Yeah. Do the best job you can. Yeah. You know, and to be in that kind of environment is super duper nice. You know, it's super duper nice. I mean, it's like inspiring. So, yeah, for sure. Do you see like an end in sight? Are you of the mind of, um, okay, been doing the commercial? So, how long have you been doing the commercials thing now? 10 years. Okay, so you did the docs for like 10 years and then you're doing the commercials for like 10 years. So you're in the, you got your 10 year plan, it is 10 year plan. So what's like next 10 years? Do you have that in mind or you're just kind of going with it? You're just kind of like flowing. I'm just, I'm just going with it. And I got to say that for the 10 years I've been doing commercials, I've spent all my commercial money on art projects and like films Mm -hmm. and things that I wanted to do. So it's not like, you know, it's uh yeah, it's I've I've continued my art practice. Right, right. No, it's <laughs> my not artistic like, practice. It's not like you yeah. shut off your art brain, which also isn't even fucking possible. You were just um mm. using all the kind of resources and benefits of the commercial life yeah. to keep pushing personal projects forward. And then is there yeah, is there something there that you're like, okay, like is there a thing there that stands out to you in the last 10 years that you're like this is meaningful to me. I mean, I'm sure it's all meaningful on one level, but something that we should be aware of, like a filmmaking project or something like that. Yeah, like I've, um, <clears throat> I um, during COVID, I did a puppet film, a, um, a puppet film, which was kind of like a puppet film called My Baguette, Your Baguette. Um, and that came about because I connected with an American artist I know called Nathan Carter who was an old roommate friend of mine. And he had, I hadn't spoken to him in like about 20 years. 
And he had done a puppet film and he said, you should do a puppet film. So then I did that. And it was kind of like a perfect COVID project because you can do a puppet film in your house while in lockdown, that's true. you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's what I did. And, uh, and that was really, really fun. I didn't shoot it at my house, but I built all the sets in my house. I, mm -hmm. I wrote the script at my house but did you and do I just it? kind you... of disappeared into this world. What? Sorry. No, no, no. Keep going. You disappeared into this kind of fantasy world, which was, you know, I mean, what else could you do during COVID? <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, totally. No, but um, it's interesting. But so, did you do most of it yourself? Because you you're talking. I did about most of it myself, but I had a, a crew. I I approach it uh, as a filmmaker. So I had a a, a shooting crew. We shot at a studio. You know, mm -hmm, I had like people it, helping it, me. I no, I was edited. sort of wondering if everything after, got done professionally. <clears throat> I was just sort of wondering if after uh, you know the ten years of kind of feeling burdened and alone and kind of like stuck with the kind of loneliness of documentary filmmaking you thought maybe after 10 years of having these great crews and collaborations you were like okay now time to go back to being alone doing this project on my own and kind of the or no you found a way to kind of apply your uh artistic creative practice and brain with uh, all of the niceties of uh the commercial experience huh no i think i experienced that loneliness once again you know oh, that okay. you're Got you're it. the only one who thinks it's important that it gets yeah, done but yeah. it but uh, yeah yeah but um but once you have you get an idea and you feel it's important then it's like you know you you i i don't know i go crazy like i'm just I, i'm just going to do it if i feel like it needs to be go into this world i'm just yeah. i just do everything well, i can to get it done totally yeah. i mean that is the driving force i think that uh, probably all uh directors and creative people can agree on it's like i mean that is the passion that is the driving force right behind it yeah and you become kind of a maniac during that time you become a crazy person like i remember when i was writing the script so this so, so the film is about sexism in the advertisement industry which i've experienced a bunch of apart from you know having a great time and you know met a lot of people and had a lot of fun and produced a lot of commercials i've also experienced my share of sexism so yeah, yeah. i decided to do a film about that and while i was writing the script i remember like everyone who crossed my path i was like please read the script and give me notes like i needed notes from everybody you know like why um so i you know if if you it was almost like if you want to be my friend Mm -hmm. you have to read my script because i need I, that's how i work i bounce off people's kind of interpretation of what i'm doing like i'm you know i need i need to get feedback but with, but with because subject, i don't always understand what i'm doing okay but with i don't subject, always like, know and understand what i'm doing yeah but okay sure oh, sorry. You, but you're an artist you have this vision you say oh i need to talk about this thing oh this is something that i want to make um a film about okay but with the subject like sexism in whatever context then you're showing the script to people like don't you think there's also a possibility that some people are going to look at it and be like i can't give notes on this like i can't i can't there have you know or do you think there are people who uh, on a certain level like prevent themselves from giving uh, being truthful in response because they're they're scared of like a touchy subject or 
or do you think you don't really have friends like that? You think all your friends kind of um, are just, they don't give a shit and they're just going to be honest with you. Well, I think they, I can tell when people are beating around the bush for sure. Mm -hmm. Like when I can disregard someone's notes because they're just kind of nice notes or whatever. They're not truthful notes, but I think most people know me and they're like, okay, you're taking it too far or like they, but I want to be, I, 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 you know, that's what art is supposed to do. It's upset people. Yeah. yeah, That's like Banksy gives you a note. You're going too far. That's, that's a, that's a useful. That's what you want to hear. That's what you want to hear. Like, you know, like Banksy said that art is there to uh, disturb the comforted and to comfort the disturbed. You know, I think, the kind of art that I want to make is supposed to disturb, but I might disturb too much. And I hope my friends will tell me, you know, along the way, like fellow artists will tell me like, it's, I need to have those conversations with people uh, to understand what it is that I'm doing. And that's how I, that's how I work. Like I don't, I work very intuitively, very, very intuitively. And it's not because I'm like not taking responsibility or that I'm dumb or something like, no, but it's just, I need, I, you know, I need to bounce my ideas off people because sometimes they've, they are not fully formed, but they get, get formed by, 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 you know, getting other people's perspective. I'm like, oh shit, that's what I'm doing. Or like, and, and, you know, and mm-hmm. people support it and say, you know, you should take it there or you should go there. Or like also mm-hmm. the whole puppet, the whole puppet thing, you know, like a friend of mine has worked in animation and he was like, you got to understand that this format can you can do crazy shit like for example in my film i have this one scene where the main character is playing tennis with serena williams mm-hmm. and then and then um um don draper enters mm-hmm. on a yard and he just kind of crashes Don into draper, the, the, the main character from mad men from mad men yeah. yeah he yeah he he enters the scene and and my friend was like, you could have him crash into the tennis court on a yard and imagine like doing that in real life sure, would cost so much expensive. money and you would and you would okay, never also yeah. you would be laughed out of the room. Whereas people have uh they don't even have a suspension of disbelief in animation. They actually have an expectation for kind of surreal things to happen. That's yeah. the that's the yeah. desire yeah. we have from so, animation, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that was a huge, huge uh, kind of like reveal, like understanding. For, like you can do whatever the hell you want, and that was so. Yeah. It gave me so much freedom that I've never worked with before. So, like, I needed that guy to say that to me because mm-hmm. otherwise, I would have kept within the little boxes of you know things. And yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting yeah. that that's part of your creative process. I find it personally like so i don't know what my problem is but i find it super scary to um open myself up to feedback i i i either find myself being really insecure about it or um kind of defensive about it even though i love to give feedback (laughs) um but um but actually i find myself and I, I get what you're talking about in that the feedback process helps you generate ideas or like helps you understand the thing that you're trying to make by like hearing someone else, like just even question you about it or talk about it. Or, oh yeah, I am actually trying to do this. And actually it opened up this door to this other thing that I really knew mm-hmm. I was trying to do, but didn't like feel it yet or something. But I, I, I feel like for me, if I'm actually in a situation where I have to like pitch my thing, I kind of on the spot, 
I will end up pitching ideas or concepts or little details that I haven't even written yet or come up with yet. But like in the performance of the pitching of it, I'll just come up with it. Um, and which I, I don't really think that's as helpful as like just being brave enough to kind of go out into the world and say, hey, I need some feedback on my like rough draft script or I need some feedback on this like five page treatment um, and I really respect you. So please, can I get some? Because I'm way too um, cowardly for that. But Eugene, for me, it's vital to get that. But I got to say, sometimes it's brutal what you get back. And you can, it can really like, you know, destroy you when it's, yeah. when people say no or when they ignore you or when like, I had a situation the other day because, okay, so I recently got into NFTs and this uh -huh. baguette film also became an NFT collection. And I asked a person- Good luck with that. That I met. Good. Thank it's, you. I met, I met, I met a person. I know. I, I, I met a person in the NFT kind of space, you know, yeah, yeah. What it can world. But I also met her in real life, this yeah, woman. Yeah. Okay. And I asked her to look at my project. Yeah. No, 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 no. But I mean, then everybody can be an avatar and you don't really know yeah, who yeah, you yeah, are yeah, yeah. or like That's are the they serious? But All I met right. this person in real life. I met this person in real life. I've supported her project so much. Yeah. And I asked her to have a look at my project. She ignored me. I waited a week. I asked her again. And yeah, yeah. she got back to me like being very, very like, you don't respect that I'm busy. I don't have time. I'm about to go into a meeting. Like yeah. she scolded me like I was a child. And I'm telling you, Eugene, like I put the phone down and I started crying. Yeah. And I am not a crier. Like I don't cry. I cry for 15 seconds, two to three times a year. Like I yeah. don't, I'm not somebody who, but I was just like, and I've had enough. Wow. Like yeah. I'm trying to, you know, talk to why somebody she, about something she... that is very important to me. I don't know. I don't know. But that's the response you you can you can end up getting. Like you can get yeah. people sit telling you to fuck off. She told me to fuck yeah. off. And yeah. I and 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 sometimes it's just like it it can be so brutal when you're kind of presenting the world with something that is so important to you and you're very yeah, sensitive personal. about your yeah. work. And then and then people just kind of like, you know, tell you to fuck off. Like that yeah, is I think so I think that this, not to, this happened two days ago. This happened two days ago. Well, I think fuck her, you know, also is the, the probably the ultimate response. Like fuck fuck you, fuck you, you know. But I think not to overpsychoanalyze, because I don't think I've really ever admitted this too much. So I'd like to think about it just for one more second, not to monopolize the show or anything, but uh <laughs> is my show. Um I think one concern I have is I I have this chip on my shoulder, like, I don't want to waste people's time. And I'm like, okay, like, why would they care about it's actually the opposite of what you're talking about. So which is probably why you're a successful uh, director. And I am come on, not, come whatever on. I am not in some way. Um, because I'm like, um, oh, I don't why would anybody care about this crap that I'm doing? And I don't want to waste anyone's time. And two, I think I have a really defensive mechanism. And so a lot of times if I'll get feedback on something and the feedback completely does not like match the kind of vision I have, especially in a writing stage and in other parts of the filmmaking process, I'm very flexible. But in the writing stage, I will kind of rebel 
and I will like almost double down on some ideas I have. And then I think in process of writing, I don't want to commit to anything fully until like I understand the whole kind of architectonics of the thing. And so I will, I don't want to put myself in a position where because someone um, criticizes something I'm kind of in the middle of, I have to necessarily almost like reactionarily commit to it because like I believe in it more because they are attacking it or because they see problems with it or something. I don't know if that really makes sense, but I do think that's the one, th one of the things I'm scared of beyond just a critique or a kind of rejection. I'm scared of having to double down on something while it's like in process uh, just because I'm such a contrarian. Um, if that makes, do you know what I'm saying or not really? It makes sense, but I think, um, I don't know. I, I think that why, how I can survive in that apart from my crying two days ago, it's like, I, I know how to, I can push away things that I don't need. Like somebody will say something to me. I'm like, that's not for the, you know, I don't, I don't agree. And I'm going to push it away. I do it silently. I'm like, thank you for reading my thing yeah, or yeah, looking yeah. at my thing. But if, if, but if they say something that is like, I just disregard it. And I just, I know what I can use. How, what can I use from this conversation or like from this feedback that it, what is useful for me? What, yeah, what yeah. makes me tick? Oh, no. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I, I think, but, but Eugene, I think it comes down to the thing with the Chinese director. Like you're like asking me, like, what was the biggest difference? Like, I think. You know, things are very, very important to me, but I try not to make them too precious. Yeah. Like literally, yeah. like being like, yeah. hey, you know, like our friend in common, Brian Lee, Lee Hughes, he always said to me, like, whenever we've worked on a billion projects together, like whatever. And he's always like saying to me, like, well, Ada, it's better than watching TV. You know what I mean? Like, no matter, you know, if you fail or if you don't fail, it's like we're just doing shit and it's better than just, you know, Staying going to the gym, going to Starbucks, shit. going to work. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like just yeah. or like just doing the hamster wheel. Like we're doing things, and that is just super important. No, and who no. cares if it's good or bad? Like really, you know? Like no, no, I get it. Down. No, I agree with you that you can't put too much um, pressure on a project, or you don't want a project to be overwrought for sure. Like if you find yourself just excruciatingly like overthinking stuff, that's really bad. Um, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess just uh, being, I, I don't know what it is about the writing process. I think all other parts of the filmmaking process, I am extremely flexible and open and, and, and encouraging of any sort of collaboration. But something about putting words down, especially in script format, feels really, um, I don't know, weirdly naked to me. And, and, and that's probably why the last like, zillion movies i wrote i've written with other people because then it's not i don't i don't feel as much vulnerability in the process um but anyway i think you just kind of you get more comfortable than, i don't think people change but i do think certainly with a lot of processes in life the more you do it the more comfortable you get and that that's for sure true like aren't there so many things i mean were you ever i was fearful about many things until i did them and then you do them and it's fine yeah yeah yeah, yeah. is that true yeah. no i think it's yeah i don't think i'm very fearful of stuff i think i'm That's more good. my battle is more like balancing but you know finding balance in 
you know, my, my ego and my expectations to the world, because being an artist is, is also just the lifestyle is brutal because you don't know, you know, if anybody's going to like what you're doing, you don't know don't if care. your shit's going to yeah. sell, you know, yeah. a lot of people, you know, don't care. Like I remember telling you when we met, like I was, I did the baguette film. I was so happy and proud that I came out with this like strong kind of, you know, um, statement about what it's like being a woman, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I did it with humor and it yeah. did, it also helped me. Like it was very cathartic, uh -huh. you know, I tried yeah. to sell it to adult swim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They said, Oh, it's, it's interesting, but it has too much message. But uh -huh. the fact that you're a woman is interesting to us. So can you write something else for us? And I thought that was such an insult because I was like, you want to work with a woman. I am a female and I just did this. So, you know, help me like get like. Well, they don't want to help. They don't want to help you do. They don't want to help you with the thing that you already did because they don't have it. No, but they could on. buy it. They could they buy it. They, they could but, buy no, no, it. But the know? thing about these companies, they don't, they're like 99 times out of a hundred. They need to have some sense of ownership of a thing to put money behind it. That's just how they are. They, they obviously yeah otherwise they have no sense of personal value or stake in the thing you know what i mean they have to yeah. have their, their own but then they could finger, but then they could on it then they could say let's shield. redo it they could say let's redo it yeah let's well, let's maybe, let's, let's see this a pilot like maybe they're lying to you maybe they're maybe they said oh if if we manipulate this person enough with our imprint then we'll like what she did and then that way we'll feel like we earned our paycheck we uh are in yeah. control we're in control supported women we're, we're we supported women final product and yeah. and last and least and the least we supported women because that's because that actually is yeah. the corporate mentality regardless of what the flavor of the month like that they're saying the thing is the real mentality is that they need mm -hmm. to put their imprint on and they need to put their ownership over it otherwise they're not comfortable with supporting it and I don't think that's yeah. necessarily just yeah. true of Adult Swim or ex it's true. Of, I think every single, um, especially corporate creative entity. Um, yeah. Otherwise, otherwise yeah. people start entering existential space. How, how there's very few companies that feel. I mean, look at the market now. Like this is probably the least conducive moment for independent film because like, you know, even companies that five, 10 years ago were buying independent films, no longer doing that. They're just buying um scripts or ip or whatever and they'll have these scripts sitting around for 10 years and then suddenly one project breaks through and it's about you know singing frogs and then they say okay like don't we have that script laying around about like singing turtles let's get that script out about singing turtles and they'd rather spend oh, you know a hundred thousand dollars to have that script laying around for 10 years than to pay someone two million dollars mm -hmm. for something that they already made when there's a risk that that thing you know isn't going to do anything they don't want to take the risk on something that's mm -hmm. made outside of their system because um they don't see the reward mm -hmm. in that and for maybe 20 years in you know the media hollywood whatever landscape you want to call it there was a clear reward like hey we're going to take a chance on this thing that is independent of our control because we see it's making money mm -hmm. and then with the um streaming model and a model these these newer models they no longer see the benefit to like buying things that are made outside of their control. They would rather hedge their bets on like, you know, 20 different potential things than to, to buy one independent thing or to 
support one independent thing. Mm-hmm. But every situation is different and maybe they're confused or maybe they're lying or maybe they don't know what's going on. You know, it's, it's, you can look, if, if we have to sit around here speculating and analyzing every single one of the projects of ours that's been rejected <laughs> or passed on or like modified and then yeah. fucking dragged around the block. Like I could, I could be here for 10 weeks, you know, like the, the as you know, let's do it. No, let's not do it because because I don't like dwelling on that stuff. And I'm sure every single person who's been on on this cast can sit around and do that because the life of a filmmaker, especially if you have your own ideas, is a life of rejection. Um, And then anything that you can kind of push through and finish, whether it's on your own or through the system, is in its own way a beautiful little bundle of joy. It's a little natural nature's wonder. It's a miracle. It's a little baby. Um, and so I wish I you, know. I wish you many more babies. I wish me many more babies. And I'm, <laughs> I'm happy that you, um, came on the show. Ada, I really appreciate it. Um, you talk. Thanks Eugene. It was so fun. It's it was good so to fun. Connect on all this stuff and looking forward to, uh, next 10 years of projects. Uh, you know, let's keep each other in the loop. <laughs> yes, definitely. Hey, definitely. will you do my catchphrase with me? Okay, it's yeah. good cat. Is you okay? We say here on the show sometimes we say, if you keep watching them, we'll keep making them. So on three, we'll just say that at the same time. Okay, are you ready? Okay. okay. One, yeah. two, three. If you, if you keep you keep watching, watching them, them, we'll keep we'll making keep them. making them. That's right. Okay. Uh, bye, Ada. <laughs> I'm gonna do my little outro bye. now. Um, it is funny. Thank you, Ada. It is funny that like the framework of these calls, these Zooms is um, completely corporate. And so leave meeting as opposed to leave call, which maybe is something from like an earlier, more intimate era of quote unquote video chatting, like um, Skype would be like leave call, whereas Google probably later on would be something like leave chat, video chat, which is another form of kind of like intimate communication, but now it's leave meeting. And in a way, these are, of course, meetings of the mind. Thank Ada for joining us um, on a kind of hazy-minded Friday that I'm experiencing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think um, I appreciate everyone comes on the show and is able to open up like that and, and talk about their memories and their experiences. And I think when we talk about our strengths, um, we should also be able to talk about our weaknesses and being able to have an opportunity to reflect on that hopefully um on some level is interesting or instructive or insightful to other people people maybe hear a little bit of something they recognize in our conversation and also i think on a certain level um i don't want to say helpful to ourselves because um i don't know if we can really help ourselves at the end of the day (laughs) you know to stray away from who we really are what does it help yourself uh, away from who you are, but um, I think it offers food for thought and a bit, bit of reflection. Um, <clears throat> I've been trying to see freaking controversial flick blonde for five days now. Uh, I wanted to do it before the show. I haven't been able to, but um, I hopefully will soon enough. Did watch um, a delightful Preston Sturges movie last night that I want to recommend to everyone. The Palm Beach Story. It's one of his better constructions there is a bunch of 
problematic things in it and a few sequences that aren't that funny but um the things that are ingenious in the character and plot construction kind of uh you know transcend all those problems and it's 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 truly worth the first act the last act and a bunch of stuff in the second part of the second act are really hilarious and i think it's one of his uh lesser kind of acclaimed works palm beach story so i recommend everyone check that out thank you everyone for tuning in i'll try to make the gaps between episodes way shorter um i know there's a long gap in september so hopefully i'll uh try to compress a few more episodes in quickly in october i apologize to everyone for that and i appreciate everyone uh listening and watching this cast I'm Eugene Kalarenko. This is Director's Commentary. Goodbye.